I'm going to go ahead and read our text for the day. And this is a story that many of us have heard a million times, and it's going to be really easy for it to just kind of be like, yeah, I know that. But my encouragement is to, that we would hear this with fresh ears, all right? This is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and have a seat. We are going to pick up where we left off last week. And uh, if you were with us last week, we were also in Luke 1. We looked at the story of Zechariah. And uh, the angel Gabriel, the same angel here, visited Zechariah. And it gave him a, a similar announcement, um, announcing that Elizabeth, his wife, would bear a son, and her son's name would be John, and that he would prepare the way for the Lord. And so uh, what we're doing this week is we're really just picking up where we left off last week, because the same angel Gabriel, from uh, after making this announcement to Zechariah in the temple, sometime later he goes and he, he finds a, a young virgin girl in the city of Nazareth named Mary. And he makes an announcement to her. And so just right out of the gate, I think there's some interesting things about those two stories, about the the angel showing up to Zechariah and the angel showing up to Mary. There's some similarities and some differences that I think are interesting, if nothing else. All right. So on the one hand, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth who are uh, old in age, right? They're they're advanced in years, I think is what Zechariah said. That's at least what he said about Elizabeth because he's wise. Uh, but they're, they're past the point of being able to have children, right? So they're on one end of the age spectrum. And then here, on the other end of the spectrum, you have Mary, who is a young, probably at this point, a, a young teenage girl, right? Betrothed to be married, but not yet married. She's, she's kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum, right? And then uh, with the case of Zachariah and Elizabeth, you've, you've got, uh, if you remember, Elizabeth was, not only was she past the point of being able to have children, but she was also, uh, all her life, she was barren. So she was unable to have children until God showed up and said, nope, she's going to have a baby. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Mary, who is a virgin. She has not married. She's never been with a man. Uh, There's no no ability for her to conceive yet. uh, But yet the angel shows up and he says, no, Mary, you actually are going to conceive. And so from Elizabeth's barrenness to uh, Mary being a, a virgin, You've got God showing up in kind of miraculous ways, 
really two different, very miraculous uh, conception stories. All right, then uh, to kind of get us into the, where we're, the direction we're going to go today, is you got the same angel making two different announcements to two different people, and what you actually have is really kind of two different responses. Right? Because Zechariah, last week, if you remember, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, hey, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. Like the Lord's heard your prayer, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah's response is, how can I know this? Right? Or in other words, how can I believe what you're telling me? So Zechariah's response to Gabriel was uh, really kind of from a posture of, of doubt. Right? It was kind of a, I hear what you're saying, but can I really believe it? Almost like he needed a sign. Right? So the angel gave him a sign. He made him quiet. Right? Um, I wish I could give that gift to my children sometime. You will not talk. All right? uh, but anyways, what we see here, though, with Mary's account, though, is, is her, her response is there's some similarities Right, she's going to be, she's going to have some some troubling thoughts. She's going to have a little bit of fear, and the angel's going to address that. But what we're also going to see in Mary's account is she is, uh, she's a little more receptive to what uh, God's word is to her. So that's where we're going to jump in this morning. So back to if you if you didn't have it in your Bibles already, Luke chapter one, we're going to start in verse twenty-eight, and it says, "And he, the angel Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you.'" But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So I find it interesting. Uh, if you remember Zechariah's story, the angel shows up and, and Zechariah falls on his face. He's a, like there's fear, there's reverent fear of, of this angel that shows up. What I find interesting here in, in Mary's account, though, is it says uh, Mary was primarily troubled at the saying. Right? So, it, I mean, she's hanging out in Nazareth and an angel shows up. And I just think, maybe it's just me, I just think it's odd that, that her response is, okay, there's an angel. But what she's really troubled at is what the angel says to her. Right? Maybe she was troubled at the fact there was an angel, and Luke just doesn't record that. But the emphasis here is on uh, Mary is kind of troubled by the angel's saying. Right? And the angel said to her, right, he said, right, you, you found favor with God. Right? You, you are the favored one is what the angel says to her. And so Mary's troubled at the statement. Like, what does this mean? What do, you, what do you mean I found favor with God? Right, like, what, is, what does that mean for me? And we can understand her, uh, kind, of her, her kind of troubled spirit with that, right? Because an angel shows up and says, you found favor with God. And her question or her troubling kind of makes sense. Because it would be this sort of, uh, posture, position of, like, what have I done? What have I done to receive the Lord's favor? I'm a, I'm a young, insignificant, insufficient teenage girl in Nazareth. Right? Even the fact that she was from Nazareth, if you read later on in the Gospels, I think it's in the Gospel of John, uh, there's this account where uh, after Jesus has grown and he's ministering and, and say, there's this group of people say, this is Jesus from Nazareth, and the response is, from Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right, and so you got this young girl, Mary, from Nazareth. And the angel shows up and says, you found favor with the Lord. And so her response is, why me? Right, what is it about me that's significant? 
At least with Zechariah's story, like he's a priest. All right, this dude's got some, some credentials. He ministers in the temple and he intercedes on behalf of Israel. And like he, he has this like, at least he kind of seems important, right? But, but what about this teenage girl, Mary? All right, so what is it that makes her worthy of receiving the Lord's favor? What has she done to be called into this significant role? And the answer is nothing. She hasn't done anything. But this is how the Lord works, right? He calls people into his plan of redemption. Right? And, and he doesn't just call the spiritually elite people. Right? This is how the Lord works. You read through the pages of the Bible. The, the men and the women that the Lord uses to accomplish his plan of redemption are, are very rarely like PhD candidates. Right? They're not the guys that graduate seminary with doctoral degrees. Right? It, it's, it's not that. It's regular, everyday, unsuspecting, insignificant, seemingly insignificant people that the Lord calls into his, his purposes. Right? And I think sometimes we use that word called, and we, we think of it as like uh, only some people are called into the Lord's work. Right? Only people that are going to be pastors or missionaries or church planners, we kind of separate that into a different class of people. And some people are called to that. I like to think that I'm one of them. Okay? But the reality is, is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, means that you've been called into a bigger, greater plan of God's redemption. And this is what's happening to Mary here. She hasn't done anything significant, right? She doesn't have credentials or a resume or anything that would deem her qualified. And yet God says, this is who I'm using to bring about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, All right? So in this moment, understandably, Mary, uh, she's beginning to, to grasp the weight of this and the significance of this moment. Um, she's realizing that she's about to be caught up in something bigger, grander than just her own plans, right? So here's what happens in verse 30. It says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In other words, do not be afraid, Mary. This is good news. Me interrupting your plans here and, and calling you into this is a good thing. Right? It's, it's part of the angel's announcement to Mary is part of God's good, perfect, pleasing plan to bring about the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so a quick word about fear. All right, the angel tells Mary, do not be afraid. And I think we can understand why he would have to give her that warning. Right? An angel of the Lord shows up and he like, gives a significant announcement. You are going to give birth to the Son of God. That's got some weight to it, right? I would imagine that would bring about some fear. That seems like a pretty important role. I don't want to screw this up. All right, so we can understand why, why the angel would, would say that. And we can understand why she would, would have fear. But the, but the angel says, do not fear. And if we can kind of intersect that with, with our story. Now, um, I don't think any of us in here are going to ever give birth to the Savior of the world, uh, but God is going to call us into His bigger, greater, grander plan of redemption. That's what we just said, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're already, you're already in part of that plan. 
And what I think can happen to us, though, is like Mary, our, our response to that can be one of fear. Right? God's calling me into this work, and, and, and it brings up some, some fear in us, some anxiety, some worry, some stress. Like I, what do you mean I'm called into this? Right? It could be stuff like, um, I just wrote down a few examples here, right? Ways that we can kind of neglect God's calling on our life because we, we submit to fear. Right? What about how often does fear keep us from engaging uh, our, our friend, family, member, neighbor, coworker in some sort of spiritual conversation? Because we're afraid of what might happen. Right? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Right? What, if they, what if the fact that I've been like a friend with this person for five years and this is the first spiritual conversation I've ever had with them, what will they think of me? Right? That's what it means to, to be motivated by fear. What about uh, how often does, this is a good one, how often does fear keep us from, from living with just open-handed generosity? Right? This, it's that time of the year where money gets tight and like budgets are a little constricted. Right? The inflation rate is like 28% or something right now. I don't know. You want me to live generously, open-handed generosity in this season? Man, I got Christmas presents to buy, right? I got food to put on the table. Right? And that's what it looks like to, to submit to fear. I'm not saying those aren't valid, but, but do we submit to our fears? Or do we submit our fears to the one who is greater than our fears? All right, here's just another example. How often does fear keep us from submitting to God's redemptive plan like in our lives? Right, like from, from being in, in relationship with other believers to encourage us and, and equip us and edify us and build us up and challenge us. Right, we think things like, I'm going to keep a distance. I'm not going to get too close. I'm not going to engage in any sort of community or relationship because if these people knew the real me, then there's no way they would want any part of me. Right? Those are just a few ways that we, we submit to fear. And like I said, at, at the end of the day, there's, there's two choices. We will either submit to our fears and sit on the sidelines of what God wants for our lives and his calling on our lives to be a part of his redemptive plan. Right, we'll either sit on the, we'll submit to our fear and sit on the sidelines or we'll take those fears because they are legitimate fears. I'm not saying you shouldn't be afraid of those things sometimes. I'm just saying you shouldn't be driven by them. All right, there's a, I listened to last week's sermon from Springfield Road. Uh, Sean had this phenomenal illustration. I'm going to give him credit for it. Um, it's like when we let fear control us, it's kind of like... Um, giving a, a, a child the driver's seat in our, our car. We give them that, that position where they drive the car and we let them take us, right? We would never do that. We would never put a child in the driver's seat and say, here, take me wherever you want to go. And yet, whenever we allow our lives to be driven by emotions, which includes fear, that's what we're doing. All right, so my point is just that There's always going to be something to be afraid of. There's always going to be something to fear. There's always going to be an excuse or a reason why I can't do this, why I can't get involved, why I can't step forward, why I can't give, why I can't uh, enter in the community with people. There's always going to be a reason for that. 
And, and yet, I think what the Lord, His words for Mary, His words for us are, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God's calling is on your life to be involved in His plan to seek and save and redeem the world. Don't be afraid. And even in that moment, there's that gut reaction of like, but I don't have what it takes. You're right. You don't. And neither did Abraham, neither did Moses, neither did uh, the disciples, neither did Mary, neither did David. You don't have what it takes. But, but here's the deal. God delights in taking people that don't have what it takes and using them to accomplish his good and perfect plan. And the reason why is he gets a lot of glory out of that. To take broken, imperfect, jacked up, weak vessels and to create this huge story of redemption. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. Right? So to say it's, I don't have what it takes, it's, this is, let me liberate you. It's not about what you bring to the table. Right? God calls us and he equips us. So it's what he does. Anyways, back to the text. That took longer than I thought it was. All right. Verse 31. So the angel goes on to explain to Mary. He says, do not be afraid. And he goes on and explains what's going to happen. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of, this, of his kingdom there will be no end. So as I read this, the first thing I thought about was... Um, how many of you guys know the song, Mary, Did You Know? The answer to that question is yes. <laughs> to some degree, anyways, Mary knew. Right? She may not have understood all the details of how this would play out. She may not have understood uh, all the nuances, like all, exactly what the life and, and ministry of her son would look like. But to some degree, she knew this is significant. I'm giving birth to the Son of God. Okay? Um, but then... Uh, He goes on in verse 34 and he says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? All right, so she knows the significance and her response is, How will this be? And I said earlier, this is kind of different from Zechariah's response. Zechariah was, How do I know this is true? In other words, How do I I know I can believe this? And Mary's response is, is more of, Okay, I believe this, I believe what you're telling me, but how exactly is it going to happen? Right? You're telling me I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. I'm down with that, I think, uh, but I've got some questions. Understandably, right? So you've got biologically, she's a virgin. And you're telling me I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. I've never been with a man. I'm betrothed. I've got some questions about how that's going to go down. Right? But then even on a grander scale, right? how will I give birth to the Son of God? How will this be? How will this be? And so where the angel silenced Zechariah, he responds to Elizabeth with, I'm sorry, he responds to Mary with a, an explanation. Verse 35, it says, And the angel answered her, 
The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. All right, now, now there's, a, there's a lot happening in what the angel just said. Right, Even like from a theological landscape, you've got uh, God the Father um, sending God the Holy Spirit for this miraculous conception so that the Son of God could be born. Right? That, there's a lot going on there. Um, but, but what I really want to focus on is Mary's response in verse 38. It says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And this is the angel departed from her. The angel just drops this significant, weighty, um, I mean, this is a, I would imagine this is a huge burden. Right? I mean, we read it again. That's why I said earlier when we started the service, we read this and we just kind of glance over it. But what the angel has told Mary is massively significant. And yet her response is basically this. You know what? That sounds crazy. That sounds impossible, but you just told me that all things were possible with God. So I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Right, the, the word there for servant. Right, Mary says, she, she calls herself a servant of the Lord. And, and the word there in the original language is, is dule, uh, which is translated literally as slave girl or slave woman. And, and I recognize like, the, the, the connotations of that word. But her point remains. She says, I'm a servant or slave of the Lord, which is to say, I can't not do the will of my master. That's Mary's response. I don't have an option. If this is what my Lord and my master says, then this is what I do. I'm a servant of the Lord. It's his will over mine. And just to go back to the whole fear thing, I mean, sometimes we lose this too. Mary had much to lose in this, potentially. Right, now, again, we, we have the advantage of, uh, advantage of reading it after the fact, so we know all that happened. But in the moment, Mary doesn't know what's going to happen. Right, it says right, she is betrothed to Joseph. So that's think firmly engaged. She's, she's going to be married to him. What happens when she shows up to this man she's going to be married to, and she's like, hey, I've got to tell you something. It's going to sound crazy. Uh, I'm pregnant. What's his response? If it wasn't crazy enough, like what... Then when she says, but listen, it's not like that. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's from God. It's fine. Like, what's his response in that moment? Is he going to divorce her? If, if not alone, just because he thinks she's committed adultery, but then maybe he just thinks she's crazy at this point. But then the angel comes to him. That's next week. All right, we'll get there next week. But what's his response to Mary? Could be, would she be divorced? Will she be put to shame? All right, you think about it from another perspective. They're still living under the, the, the Old Testament law at this point, which said in the law that uh, for a woman to commit adultery, 
She could have been stoned, killed. Now, we know Mary did not commit adultery, but the perception was from outsiders, right? This woman is going to be pregnant with a child that is not Joseph's. What's the perception there, right? So she's got that on her shoulders. And then at the very least, right, she would have been ridiculed, marginalized, and outcast for this perceived act of adultery. Mary's got a lot. Like there's a lot to fear there, much more than we have to fear in some of the things that, that we hesitate to act on, right? And so yet with, with, with all of that, her response to this word from the Lord is, is quiet submission and obedience. She didn't know how it would play out totally. She didn't know what it meant for her relationship with friends and family and fiancé, right? And her response is, is still, I'm a servant of the Lord. And if this is what he says, this is what I do. It's his will over mine. And one of the things that I think is, is really interesting, I, I didn't really put this together until this week, but her words in this moment really are kind of foreshadowing to the same words that, that this child that she was going to give birth to would utter in a garden some 30 years later. Right? The night before his crucifixion, he's praying in the garden, and his, his prayer is this in Luke 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, it's not about my will being done. It's about your will being done. Right? Isn't that Mary's response? It's not about me. I'm a servant of the Lord. It's about what he wants. It's about his will for my life. All right? So here's what I want to do. We, we talk about submission and obedience. And, and I think sometimes those words just have negative connotations. Right, when we talk about submitting to someone or, or even submission to the Lord, sometimes in our minds that's like, well, what have I got to give up to do that? Right, with this default, kind of this default sort of negative perception. But, but what I want to point out is it's actually it's Mary's quiet and humble obedience and submission that leads to her deepest sense of joy. And so I want to read verses 46 through uh, 55. This is... In my Bible, it says Mary's song of praise. So this is, Mary's going to go on from here. She's going to visit uh, Elizabeth. But then she, she erupts here later in this song of praise. And I want you to, I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to preach through it. But I just want you to listen for like a heart that is overflowing with joy. Here's Mary's words. Starting in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the, almighty, brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Right? It, was, it was Mary's 
act of submission, an act of obedience that led to the, this deep sense of joy that overflowed. Like she couldn't contain it. She's like, I got to sing. I don't know about you. When I get happy, that's what I do. I just sing. My wife would testify. And that's what we see here with Mary. It's like this, this joy, she can't contain it anymore. And it just erupts in this song of joy and praise to what God has done and is going to do. Right, and, and my question to you is, isn't, isn't joy what we're all after? That's what we all want more of. Right, that's this, just this season, that's why we gather with family. That's why we uh, do the gifts and the exchanges. That's why we go to the parties, right? Because we're, essentially we're pursuing joy. And I'm not saying you won't find joy in family because I, I, mean, I love my family. Right? And I hope you love spending time with your family. Right? I'm not saying you won't find joy in gifts. There is, I love opening gifts on Christmas morning. Right? Those, are, those are great things, and there is joy in those things. But what I also want to tell you is that real joy, deep joy, abiding joy, lasting joy, enduring joy isn't found in, in those things. It's not found in, in stuff. It's not found in circumstances. I think our friends in western Kentucky would, would tell you that, that you root your joy in your stuff and your circumstances. That stuff can be gone in a minute. But if you want deep joy, lasting joy, enduring joy, it always comes on the far side of obedience and submission to the Lord. What I mean by that is, is you will not experience deep, lasting, enduring joy. The joy that's still there when everything else is gone. You will not experience that until you can say with Mary, I'm a servant of the Lord. It's His will over mine. It's what He wants to do with me over what I want to do with me. Right? That's where joy is found on the far side of, of submission. So let me, here's my question to you this morning. I'll tease it out a couple ways and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll, we'll sing. Question is just this. Where do you need to submit to the Lord this morning? Right? That's, that's the application point. Where do you need to submit to the Lord? Right? Maybe, like I said, I'll help you tease it out a little bit. Maybe it's just you need to submit to His call on your life. Right, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but you've just been sitting on the sidelines, kind of watching everybody else do their thing. Right, maybe for you to submit to the Lord is to realize, okay, I've been called into his plan of redemption. I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm on active duty. Right, and maybe it's time for you to, to get in the game. Maybe you need to strike up a spiritual conversation with friend, family member, coworker, neighbor. Right, maybe you do need to start living with, with open-handed generosity. Right? Maybe, you, uh, maybe you do need to take a step forward into uh, living in community and relationship with other believers. Right? I, I don't know exactly what it looks like for you, but what if maybe for you this morning, your first step of submission is just to, to step into God's calling on your life. All right, maybe... Maybe your step of obedience this morning is just, maybe it's baptism. Right? Maybe you've been 
You've been saved for a while. You're a follower of Jesus, but you would just say, I've never been baptized. That's a really important first step of obedience. Right? We, we don't believe that baptism saves you, but we believe it's a very important symbol of a relationship with you have. It's how you identify publicly with Jesus as a follower of Jesus. It's how you identify publicly as a member of God's family. And so if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized, I would encourage you to take that step of obedience and submission. Maybe it's church membership. I know that's kind of like an administrative term. We don't really know what to do with that, but, but I think the Bible was pretty clear that there's no such thing as a Christian that just kind of floats around on their own. So maybe you need to join Valley Creek. You've been coming for a while. You're kind of, maybe you're even involved, but you've never actually like put your stake in the ground here. I would just say maybe that's your, your step of submission and obedience this morning. And maybe there's some, some fears with that because you're like, I don't know, that church has some issues. <laughs> so do you. You'll fit in. Right? We'll work through it together. It'll be fine. Okay? Or maybe, maybe, maybe for the first time, you just need to submit to the reality that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Maybe you've been around the church. I'm going to use Dale's story. This wasn't planned. But maybe you've been around the church. You've been around the things of the Lord, but you've never submitted yourself to Him as Lord and Savior. So maybe submission and obedience for you this morning just looks like acknowledging the reality that you are a sinner and acknowledging the reality that your best efforts will not save you from the penalty of sin. But submitting to the offer of salvation that the Lord gives by trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. If you're here this morning, you've never done that. That's your first step of obedience and submission this morning. All right, so what, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Whatever, whatever response looks like for you this morning, all right, whatever it looks like for you, it will all be an act of submission and obedience to God's word. Just as, angel, or just as Mary submitted to uh, the words of the angel, which were the words directly from the Lord, right? any response that we have should be a, a submitting to God's word. And it's for, it's for his glory, but I'm telling you, it's for your joy. All right, so pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning grateful for your word, grateful that you are a God who loves and cares, grateful that you are a God who invites uh, us into your plan of redemption. Lord, grateful that you call regular, everyday men and women. That you, you don't just use the, uh, the spiritually elite, but that you use uh, regular, everyday people and, because you get a lot of glory out of that. And so, Lord, I pray that in this time of response that we would respond to your word as as it's been revealed to us, that, that our response would be like Mary's. That we would say, I want to be a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Father, where we need to submit to you this morning, where we need to uh, surrender our lives in greater capacities to you, I pray that you would move us to do that. Father, we need to 
cast aside fears that keep us from stepping into that. I, I pray that you would do that. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that, that has never submitted their life to you as Lord and Savior. I, I pray that you would begin to prompt them and move them and convict them uh, towards that as well. So Father, we pray um, that, that you would move in this place, in this moment, uh, and, and moving out of this moment by your Spirit. Lord, help us, lead us, guide us into what you want for us as we sing. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.